Well, as Ruth said, it's not uh, a sort of normal sermon this evening. Instead, we have a topical series of two uh, on the same subject, sort of in the tradition, if you've been around for a while, of issues facing Christians today. And the issue tonight is about why we no longer read and whether that matters and uh, what that has done to our brains, if it's true that we don't read, and whether Christians should care about that at all. So tonight's sermon is about um, laying out the possible problem. Tonight we'll be miserable, and next week we'll be sort of laying out some possible solutions. Um, Ruth's question earlier, how much did you read this week? Um, again, I don't know whether you were able to answer, I don't know whether you were surprised by the answer, um, and I don't know if you are aware of how that sort of tracks across your life and how it compares to other people around you. Um, tonight's also going to be quite American, uh, which is to say that most of the good thinking about this and the good research on this seems to be done in America. So um, I've got some American statistics for you, um, but you need to know I do not think the UK would do any better than these numbers. It's just that they understand it better. So, um, and the trend, anyway, is what matters. So here we go. Um, in 1984... Um, Nine-year-olds in America read for fun, uh, 53% of them every day. So nine-year-olds, 53% of them reading for fun every day. Uh, By 2020, that was down to 42% in nine-year-olds. Okay, Uh, there's a decline. Um, In 13-year-olds, it went from 35% to 17% in 2020. So that's really not many at all. And these are children who are encouraged to read uh, and uh, not people like us with, you know, busy, important lives and other things to do. Um, Boys tend to read less than girls. And um, overall numbers, uh, by 2016, um, the average person read 15.6 books a year. Again, this is where you get to feel better. You know, if you think you did more than that, feel right. But by 2021, it was down to 12, 12 and a half. And actually, the, the biggest drop in all of that uh, was the people who used to read loads of books. Uh, so actually, the sort of people who aren't going to read much anymore, that's sort of bottomed out. I'll read one or two books a year, I'm done. But the people who used to read loads, now reading far, far fewer. So does that matter? Does it matter? Is that just irrelevant? Is it a change? Uh, How much does it matter? And um, tonight, uh, we're going to have three points. Um, The first one is going to be in the Bible, um, talking about what God has given us. Uh, God has given us a mind. And then uh, point two, point three, we're going to move on to what might have happened in the 20th century and on into the 21st century and think about whether that matters or not. So first of all, God gave each of us a mind. And I want to look at three Bible truths that are true of every single Christian. Every Christian a God-knower, every Christian a mind-renewer, and every Christian a truth-speaker. And each of these true of every Christian. It's important to say we're all very different in this room. Our minds will be a bit different from each other. We'll have had different access to education. But the Bible, remember, was written to a culture where most people did not read at all. Uh, In fact, where most people couldn't read and owned no books at all. But still the Bible says these three things. 
every Christian, a God-knower, a mind-renewer, and a truth-speaker. So, every Christian, a God-knower, and that comes from this reading in Jeremiah that was read to us just now. It is the the glorious promise of a new covenant. God is going to do something new and better in the days of Jesus, new and better for us. And this time, it will be that the law will be in their minds, and it will be written on their hearts. Uh, These ideas, they will be inside us. And that means I will be their God, and they will be my people. And the, the next line there, it doesn't mean that um, you know, teachers are bad, doesn't mean teachers are evil, but teachers are now only helpful. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. So whoever you are tonight, if you're a Christian, you arrive tonight knowing the Lord. His words are on your heart and in your mind. You don't need anyone, certainly not me, to create you as someone who knows the Lord. They will all know me from the least to the greatest. In the Christian life, you are not a pupil at the back of the class. You are up close and personal as a friend of God. So every Christian is a God-knower. And that's not something for intellectual Christians who enjoy books. It's each of us, every one of us with a mind and a heart, Every one of us written on by God so that we could know him. And that is the privilege, the joy of the new covenant. We don't need anyone to introduce us. We know God, each of us. Um, So because of that, every Christian is a mind renewer. Um, And that verse comes from Romans 12. Romans 12, it's the the turning point of the letter of Romans. And it gives us an urgent duty. Every one of us, we know God, yes, but our minds, they're not only full of God. Uh, Tell me if your mind is. Uh, Our minds are not only full of God. The the pattern of the world is all around us and wants us to conform, wants us to submit. And Paul's answer is we are to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Um, All of us, then, should be concerned about what is getting into our minds and what state our mind is in. Each of us ought to be actively planning and acting to renew our minds. And here in Romans, that means um, fill them with the content that Paul has been speaking about for the 11 chapters before that. So the, the verse immediately before our verse says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, In other words, put God's mercy into your brain. And I always used to think that meant just, you know, an idea or two, the best ideas, the nicest ideas from earlier in the book, maybe from chapter three. So the idea that says all of us sin, but God forgives us and justifies us freely. Wow, the mercy of God. And that is a great idea. That is an amazing truth. We should use it to renew our minds. But in context, I think it's a bit more challenging than that. It's more likely he means all of the truths in chapters 1 to 11. And maybe even particularly the sort of tricky, complicated ideas in chapters 9, 10, and 11. Ideas that most Christians really have decided are for other people. People who, you know, who like thinking, like reading. But if every Christian is a God-knower, then... Every Christian is a mind renewer. 
It's an urgent duty. And in Romans 12, it is entirely practical. The, The renewed mind is the only way to escape from the pattern of this world. This is wonderful. It means that we can be different. This is where service comes from and joy and humility and prayer and forgiveness. They all kind of roll out through the rest of that chapter. But also, and better... This mind work is not something that we do on our own. So third idea under there for tonight, every Christian is a truth speaker. And a third verse for us tonight. Ephesians 4, it's a chapter about the united body of Christ. And you can see the goal there. Uh, It is that we will grow in every respect, to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. And from him the whole body grows and builds itself up in love. It's an amazing picture of what um, we are meant to be together, um, Christians as the body of Christ, growing more like him and growing uh, up and stronger. And again, do you notice the everyone element in blue on the screen? As each part does its work. This is something that every one of us contributes to for the good of everybody else. How? What is the work we have to do? Well, it's there in the, in the orange, speaking the truth in love. It's Again, it's about something we do with our minds to help the minds of other people, talking to each other, telling each other ideas about God, helping each other think rightly and renew our minds, renew the minds that God has given us. And if you did turn up Ephesians 4, you'd see that it's a lot like, well, a bit like Jeremiah, because teachers feature again in verse 11, and again, they're, they're helpful, but all that they do, all that a sermon is, all that a Bible study leader is, is someone who equips you, every one of you, every one of us, with what we need to be speaking the truth to each of us. So every Christian uh, knows God. Every Christian has a mind that they are commanded to renew. And every Christian is a truth speaker to one another. So God gave us a mind and it is using it, is renewing it. Uh, That is not optional. Uh, It's not for some Christians and not for others. It's not for later in life when uh, you're more mature or less busy. It's not at the expense of being a heart Christian or a practical Christian. According to Romans, this is where um, proper emotions come from as a Christian. This is where bold and urgent action comes from. Uh, it's also not automatic. Uh, I will conform to the world if I don't take active steps to renew my mind with the mercies and the knowledge of God. It's also not unimportant. Uh, without it, I won't pray or give or serve or love or forgive or repent or battle or persevere or grow. And it's also... At last on this list for now, it is not a bad thing. I don't know how you're feeling at this stage in tonight. Does it feel like I just told you that, you know, God had set us all double homework with triple detention for the rest of your life? Um, to be a God knower with a, with a renewed mind, surrounded by brothers and sisters, every one of whom is capable of speaking the truth in love to me, that is the gift. That is the covenant privilege, far better than ignorance 
or prejudice or a mediated religion or some kind of illogical religion with an unpredictable God. God gave each of us a mind. That's point one. But here's the suggestion. Maybe in 20th century, 21st century, something changed for most of us, uh, for most of us and how we use our minds. So what is it that's happened to us and how? And uh, one possible answer I've got for you tonight is there in point two. It's that we live in a, a new kind of world. Um, now, this answer, it's not from the Bible. This is a suggestion. Um, it has no authority for Christians. What I'm going to suggest to you, uh, see if this describes you, describes what's been going on around you, and see if that helps you do the things that point one were telling us from the Bible. So this is an answer suggested by a man called Neil Postman. Uh, There he is, a 20th century thinker, died in 2003. And you can see from the quote that he was very, very worried. Uh, For him, the, the absolute golden age in human life was America of the 1830s. Um, That wasn't where he lived, but that was what he thought was brilliant. It was the age, he said, of typography, the age of reading, and the age of exposition. And he says, now instead, we live in the age of the television. That's his suggestion. And you can see his miserable conclusion up there on the screen. The content of much of our public discourse has become dangerous nonsense. Uh, That's what he thinks. And for him, it is not just that we read less and think less. It's that what we think about is now dangerous nonsense. And you may just think he's just a miserable old man. So let me give you some of his reasons. But again, remember, he's not um, from the Bible. He may be wrong in general. He may be wrong about you in particular. Um, In uh, 1985, he wrote this book. Here's a copy. There's a picture up there uh, on the screen called Amusing Ourselves to Death. And that is my my favorite copy for it. Does anyone know who that is, that picture? It is. It is. That's Ronald Reagan, uh, who was the U.S. president when he wrote the book. Uh, Ronald Reagan with a clown nose on. Um, And what he's saying is Ronald Reagan was not president because he was the best candidate or because he had the best ideas, he was president because he was the most entertaining, the best clown. Uh, For Postman, it was perfect that Reagan had been an actor uh, before he was a politician, but actually it doesn't matter. He says this is now true of all of us everywhere, all of the time. And um, Postman, he's not blaming Reagan uh, or us, he's blaming TV. Uh, Nice not to be blamed, isn't it? Let's blame TV. Um, He says our world has changed so much that the only kind of president you could possibly have now is one who entertains you. Certainly is one who looks good on TV. Uh, It says the vital thing now is not that candidates are excellent or clear or honest. The vital thing is that they appear as if they are when you give them 10 seconds on TV. Okay, so do you see how grumpy he is? Um, His uh, academic field, he's a professor of communication, field that probably today we'd call media studies. And media studies, that does not mean doing a degree about watching TV. It means thinking about how, well, film, maybe, shapes what you can say and think, or how TV does, or how 30-minute monologues called sermons shape what you can say and think. And the quote that's up there now is sort of his big theory of life. The media of communication available to a culture 
are a dominant influence on the formation of the culture's intellectual and social preoccupations. That's a bit chewier, isn't it, than just saying we're all into dangerous nonsense now. So um, let's try and break that down. Um, the, The media of communication, that is about what a culture has available to communicate with. So the the media available. Um, And for him, remember, it's all about the 1840s. It all went wrong in the 1840s. So up until the 1840s, information could only travel as fast as the fastest human being, which was then 35 miles an hour if you sat on a train. So um, I could see something. I could get in a train, I could chug across America, and I could get out of my train and I could tell you about it. And that was as fast as it could, and it took ages. And normally, instead of that, someone had to write it down, and it had to be carried to you, or it had to be put in a book and published and come to you years later. But then they invented the telegraph. So a new medium, which means messages can suddenly travel across the whole United States almost instantly, which sounds good, doesn't it? except that um, Postman is really sad about it. Because he says books are, are good at a lot of things. Books are good at collecting information. They're good at explaining information and analyzing information. But the telegraph is just good at moving it very, very quickly. Uh, suddenly, all that matters is how new is this bit. The news is an invention of the 1840s, he says. just wasn't possible before that. The available media will control what you can say. And then also in the 1840s, we get photos. Uh, So instead of just words, we get pictures. And then uh, they can be sent instantly from very far away. Then we get radio, and then we get film. And then finally, for him, we get TV. Um, He just about knows about computers, uh, but not about the internet. And he certainly doesn't know about smartphones just as well, I think. Um, He's saying new ways of communicating, they influence what we communicate, and therefore they influence what we think. So the available media controls, dominates, forms what our culture, well, the intellectual and social preoccupations, what we think and what we do. Now, you may find yourself wanting to disagree with him. Uh, Calm down, old man, you might be wanting to say. Uh, Is there not good TV? And educational TV. And in fact, he would say that is the worst kind of all. Educational TV. So it's not even entertaining. And it makes you think that you're learning when really you're just being given trivial, entertaining images, maybe of fluffy animals somewhere that you can't do anything with, you don't understand, and that don't change your life in any way. Um, TV, he says, is transforming our culture into one vast arena for show business. And uh, in the book, he tries to prove this by looking at politics, at teaching in schools, and at church. And he says, in each of those areas, we used to do serious thought. We used to do long books about ideas that were important and complex, that we wrestled with and based our lives on. And he said, now, um, that is probably not what you came here for tonight. It says religion is now mostly about offering people what they want. And education, he says, is mostly about uh, entertainment, uh, the fun teacher. And politics is just like a TV commercial. Uh, it's entertaining and it's a kind of therapy. 
The idea is that all problems are solvable and they're solvable fast. And what matters is the person you elect, they have to look and feel like they are sincere when they tell you that they're going to fix all your problems and fix them fast. Now, I've got just time for one example. I can't um, give you all these examples. Here's one example of how things have changed since, in this case, 1854. So 1854, come with me to Illinois. And in Illinois, there was a political meeting in 1854. And uh, it happened to be Abraham Lincoln and a man called Stephen Douglas, who I am too ignorant and degraded by TV ever to have heard of. I don't know if you've heard of him. But um, Abraham Lincoln, he wasn't actually, um, he wasn't president then. He wasn't even a candidate for the presidency or the Senate. Neither of them were. They were just two people who represented different political parties, and they came to Illinois for a debate to a large crowd of ordinary people. And um, Stephen Douglas went first, and he spoke for three hours. Okay? Uh, then it was Abraham Lincoln's turn, but it was, um, it was 5 p.m. by then. So Abraham Lincoln stood up and he said, why don't we all go home and have some tea and then come back for my reply? And then after my reply, um, Douglas will get um, more time to reply to me. So they, yeah, good plan. They all went home, they had their food, and they all came back. Abraham Lincoln spoke for three hours, and then Stuart Douglas replied for one more hour. So seven hours of serious political argument. Just think about the attention span that that assumes. You know, what if I spoke for three hours tonight? How would you be? And then asked you, please come back for three hours more. I'm not sure I could do it physically, and I'm certain that you wouldn't want to. And the speeches, we've still got lots of the speeches from then. And, you know, they're not easy they're difficult. The audience was able to follow long and complex sentences, the kind of sentences you would only really write in a book nowadays. Both speakers assumed that their listeners had loads of background understanding. And none of this took place at some kind of university conference. Uh, the setting much more like a sort of working people's carnival with picnics and bands and liquor for sale. And his point is just, can you imagine that happening today? Can you imagine it? And if not, why not? And when he was writing in the 80s, uh, TV was just taking over from reading. And it's beginning to shape not just the, the content of our thought, but even the list of what we're allowed to think about. And actually, as it works on my attention span and my habits of thinking, it reduces my capacity to hear as well. And now since the book was written, there has been, if anything, an acceleration of that, hasn't there? Uh, we read less now than we did when he was so miserable. And above everything else, nowadays we have smartphones. And the smartphone, it has all the power of a TV, but it comes with me everywhere I go. And more than that, it remembers. It pays attention to what I most prefer to be distracted by, so it can offer it to me. Uh, every moment I turn it on. Now, remember, none of this is about whether you read more or less than the person next to you. Um, you may read much more than somebody next to you, and that really doesn't matter. This is about whether you read less than you used to, or whether you read less than you would like to, or less than would do you good. And um, my most recent discovery in this area is that I can no longer read a book 
if my phone is in the same room as me. Okay, that's a confession. Uh, maybe, um, maybe you think that's not too serious. You know, at least I know what to do, and I do have more than one room. Uh, but it's a big change for me since three years ago. Uh, before COVID, I could have my phone in my pocket, and I could sit and read a book. And I can start now, get a couple of pages in, and the moment it's boring or difficult or interesting, or, oh, I wonder what, I wonder what the back... Out comes my phone, down goes the book, and I stop. And at one level, I'm you know, slightly worried about telling you that. It just feels a bit pathetic, uh, though I have this kind of hope that maybe there's some sympathy in the room. Um, why can't you just not look at your phone? It's the kind of thing that parents shout at teenagers. Um, but at another level, there are lo- there's an industry of very clever people who are pushing me through my phone, news and crises and entertainment and gossip, sorry, I shouldn't call it that, the views and joys of my best friends on social media. Um, Very clever people have done this to me so that they can make money out of me. Incredible technology, hardwired to the dopamine centers in my brain, backed up by algorithms that know how to give me everything that I'm most likely to click on. Um, So I drown in information and content. And increasingly for me, none of it is really chosen in the sense that at the beginning of the day, I thought I must spend a lot of time thinking about that, reading about that. And it isn't really what I want to know or think about, but I can't find the, the space to think or know about anything else in the middle of it all. And um, right at the beginning of the book, um, Postman says, really what's going on is we've all been on guard against the wrong threat. Um, So there are two books. Um, The book on the right was written by George Orwell in 1949. George Orwell is the guy in the statue, if you went just that way on the way to the pub, he's right there. Um, And the book is called 1984, and it's about a horrible, oppressive, totalitarian state. And in 1984, the threat is that the state um, oppresses you from outside, tells you what to do, and the state bans books that it doesn't like, and the state takes away from you the knowledge that you need, and the state controls you by inflicting pain on you. And um, Postman says that was the threat that we were all really worried about. And rightly, that was a real threat, and it still is in parts of the world, and it's horrible. But he says, while we were worrying about that, we forgot to worry about another kind of threat, which is um, the earlier book. That's Aldous Huxley's Brave New World, written in 1932. And in Brave New World, the government doesn't need to ban books because they can deprive their people of knowledge by drowning them in a, a sea of irrelevance. Huge waterfalls of trivial, entertaining information. Nobody's being controlled from the outside by inflicting pain. Uh, They're all being controlled from the inside by offering pleasure. Uh, He says it works because of humanity's almost infinite appetite for distraction. And... um, Postman is seriously worried about what all of this is doing to us. Um, I don't know whether any of this has resonated with you, whether you've come along with it. Um, But as Christians, I think we've got extra reasons not to want to simply be conformed to a world of entertainment and pleasure and feeling good. Um, And that is why he called his book 
um, amusing ourselves to death, which is our third and final heading. Um, And what I want to do under this third heading is I just want to give us a few ways that this might be impacting us, uh, ways this might be affecting our ability to be God-knowers and mind-renewers and the truth-speakers that God created us to be. So the first one of them is, uh, kind of we've been talking about it already, but it's the sort of junk food effect. And we know how junk food works, don't we? We know that if you binge on junk food, uh, you do stop feeling hungry. It's great. And it tastes good and it tastes nice and that's great. But it doesn't actually mean that you have nourished your body. It doesn't mean that long term you will be a healthy functioning human being. And in fact, you can get so addicted to junk food uh, or to sugar or something like that that you don't really want to eat anything else anymore. And you don't want to eat anything that would actually nourish your body. Um, which is where a, a constant diet of distraction, 10 seconds on this, 10 seconds on something else, a constant diet of entertainment or shock or scandal, it limits our use of our mind. Um, concentration span comes down, we've said. Uh, there will be limits to the kind of ideas that we will tolerate and how complicated they can be. I think uh, even when we do read a book, often we give up really, really early. And um, We start reading a book, we find it hard, and we think, oh, it depends slightly how arrogant you are. You either think, oh, what a terrible writer. Why can't they be clear? Or if you're more humble, you think, oh, I'm really bad at reading. I'm never going to understand this book. I'm too stupid. But the reality might be that the author actually is fine and that you're fine. You've been reading books for years. You'll be okay. It might just be that the ideas are hard. See, TV tells us that no important idea should take longer than 30 seconds to understand, which, give it a second's thought, just cannot be true, can it? Some ideas are hard but good and complex, but important. And actually, quite a lot of Christian ideas are like that. And they need effort. They need minds that don't give up after a couple of pages and go back to Facebook or Clash Royale or whatever it is, because that's easier. Uh, Like the, the junk food addict, who might really be gorging themselves to malnutrition, so, as a culture, we might be amusing ourselves to death. Um, second way this might be harming us, um, Postman says that today, and he means 1985, so probably we're worse now, he says, today we no longer have opinions, instead we have emotions. So, um, I think, which I think, you know, that does describe today, doesn't it? A lot of discourse and, and conversation today. Um, Today, I suggest something is only allowed to be true if it feels kind immediately. Is that true? Only allowed to be true if it feels kind immediately. And each of those words is a choice and a change from how we used to be. So feeling has replaced thinking, and kindness has replaced love. They're not the same thing. Uh, We have a God who disciplines those who he loves, which is never going to feel kind at the time. And then immediately, that means that I can take against your view at once. And the blame is yours. You didn't make it feel kind in 10 seconds because you failed to deliver your thought through that absolute filter 
of the medium in our culture. And then third and last, um, all of this explains why human interaction has become so stressful and so difficult. See, before the telegraph was invented back in 1830, um, people could normally do something about every piece of information they received. So, you know, Jim Bob would run up the hill, he'd shout, the barn's on fire! Uh, and, you know, mom and dad and grandpa and, and the brothers and the sisters, they would pour out of the farmhouse and form a line and pour water on the fire. Information came with relevance to my life that I could understand and I could do something about it. I could act on it coherently. But after the telegraph, I could know that a warehouse was on fire on the other side of the world. I could know that people were there in danger and there's nothing at all I can do about it. And now we can watch it live on TV, which is incredibly stressful, isn't it? And uh, news networks, they get to choose from all of the most sensational things happening all over the world and push them at me through my phone in a world where they only make money if I click on them and not on other people. Which is not to criticise journalists, that's their job. Uh, but it, has, it makes a difference to how I feel about the world, how stressful the world feels. And as well as stressful, this degrades my ability to understand and love other people. Um, we all live in bubbles where normally the only ideas we ever have to meet are ideas that we already agree with and where there is no um, analysis, no openness to a different point of view. So when we meet each other and disagree how much we hate each other and how little we're able to listen to each other. Okay. Um, the team during the week warned me that this might be too miserable for Sunday night. So I'm sorry about that. How are we all feeling? Hope we're okay. Um, if you think this is all nonsense, if you read loads and you read as much as you ever did, then I'm very sorry for wasting your time. Uh, I hope at least you have a bit more sympathy for all the rest of us. But if maybe you recognize some of this stuff as true for you and recognize that in your life distraction is now winning and that entertainment is the filter controlling what you access and think about, well, it'd be good tonight just to ask what we do about that. And rather than being miserable or giving up, um, I just want to finish by pointing out the huge head start that you have, um, if you're in this room at all, uh, and if you are a Christian in particular. So if you're a Christian, you're a, a group of people who know and love God. If you're here and you're not a Christian, you're here because you are seriously thinking about God, willing to give up time to travel here to do abstract thinking about uh, a God who reveals himself to us in a book. Um, this is a group who, even if we don't do anything else, we don't read anything else, um, we try to read the Bible and then come here to speak to each other and listen to ideas about God and humanity and love and grace and how to treat human beings. Um, it's a huge head start, actually. You will have mind muscles that other people may not have. Any human being um, has an incredible mind given to them by God. Um, it's a lot like an addiction to junk food, actually. It's painful when you try and stop, but gradually you can train yourself, and over time, you feel a lot better as you read, think, engage with stuff that is substantial and important. And then any Christian here 
is someone who doesn't just have an amazing mind that God has given them, but who has a new mind uh, given them to by God, uh, filled by his spirit, invited to this process of renewing your mind in view of his mercies. And again, someone who is not a Christian doesn't have any assurance that difficult thinking will lead anywhere or lead anywhere to anything of any meaning or significance. In some ways, you might as well just be entertained if there is nothing real out there. But Christian person, the promise from the one who created every idea is that you can connect with him. You can know the creator of the universe. He wants to know you. And he will lead us, body, mind, and heart, into his presence for all eternity which is where we were created to be and where all true satisfaction is found. So I wonder where it would begin for you. For me, I just need to put the phone in another room, uh, go into a different room and pick up a Bible, read it. Uh, Maybe read your Bible for five minutes tonight. Uh, Maybe pick up a Christian book and uh, just start. Read a few pages a day uh, and we start training our mind for real and growing practical life in God's brilliant new world. Um, Let me pray and give thanks to that God. Our Father, we're so grateful that you have given us minds. Uh, Thank you that in the gospel of the Lord Jesus, we have such wonderful ideas to fill it with. Ideas where we find our place in this world, where you show us who you are and how forgiven and loved and how we should live. And Father, pray for us, uh, surrounded by um, exciting, entertaining, wonderful distractions. Pray for us, Father, that we would uh, choose solid food. We would choose to think, to renew our minds, to give ourselves to the business of knowing you better and growing in our knowledge of you. We ask that you would help us. Help us by your spirit. Help us by our brothers and sisters. Uh, Help us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.